Panoply, Panorama, Panpipe, Pansy, Aha, Pansexual, Knowing No Boundaries of Sex or Gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au.
3CR, 8.55am, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au and 3CR On Demand, Out of the Pan, with Sally first broadcasting noon through one every Sunday afternoon. Thanks for your company. 3CR broadcasts from the lands of the Kulin Nations and we pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello to any Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander people tuning in and we acknowledge that all the lands on this continent and surrounding islands were stolen and never ceded. I'm Sally Goldner. I use the pronoun she, her. I'm your host for Out of the Pan, a show covering pan, pan issues, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender or today topic. Come to that in a minute. There's lots of ways to get in touch with the show um, if you want to ask questions or have, to use the obvious pun, queries about the content of the show. Uh, out of the pan, 855 at gmail. You can SMS 61456 751215. You can tweet at Sal Gold Said So, and that's the bottom line. And you can look for posts on Facebook on my page, Sally Goldner AM and Out of the Pan, 3CR 855 AM Melbourne. And any opinions on this show are my own and not those necessarily of any organisation with which I'm associated present or in the past. Uh, don't think there'd be anything of content warnings today, uh, but if there is, switchboard um, as part of the QLife network on 1800 184 or Rainbow Door on 1800 729 um, Also, um, the Family Violence Line for Queer People, 1800 547 Not so much content warnings, but there will be just a mention of sexual health, but um, nothing, in my opinion, that would be, we'll say, graphic of in any way. And why are we talking sexual health from a cultural perspective? Because a few weeks ago I met a very, very interesting person with lots of knowledge in the topic, and I thought, hmm, they'd be good to come on out of the pan. And, um, well, um, here we have it. Uh, Welcome to 3CR, Daisy Sykes. Hi, Sally. Thanks for having me uh, this afternoon. It is an absolute pleasure to to, um, have you on the show. And um, the um, things that we like to ask first of all, though I think I've hinted, um, can I check in if it's okay to ask which pronouns you use, if any? Of course. Um, My preferences are my name, Daisy. Um, However, grammatically, they, them is sometimes required, um, and that's okay too. Okay, then. And um, also, we want to acknowledge that we are all on Aboriginal lands, maybe somewhat the same, maybe somewhat different. Um, which ones are you on? I am honoured to be in Nam on Wurundjeri, in Wurundjeri country today. Um, I'm calling in from basically the centre of Nam. Good to have you with us. Um, not, not too far away, but of course... Um, Said the fifty-six-year-old, still amazed by technology. Gosh, how do we know if we're on Zoom? You could be anywhere. You could be anywhere, at least on planet Earth. And as I always say, if anyone's coming in from another planet, um, let us know um, um, on the means of contact below if you can use them. Now and welcome. And welcome. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, look, there was there was news during the week of some sort of object on the moon's surface. So who know, who knows what could have been there. Whether the one of the previous um, space visits didn't take their little with them, naughty non-environmental people, but um, that's another story. Coming to business, though, uh, sexual health from a cultural perspective. I mean, that's not something that we hear a lot about, although in an ideal world I think we would. How did you end up um, at this point in your life, in that, in that part of it, 
on the 12th of December 2021. How did you sort of um, get to that point? Because I think that's going to be really important. Um, So my journey basically started 11 years ago by getting myself into a lot of trouble. Um, I was undergoing an education degree um, and I was in my literacy development classes asking a lot of awkward questions that my teachers didn't like. So on my third trip to the dean's office, I decided it was probably best to understand these problems systematically and institutionally a little bit better. And I transferred out of indication, education, obviously it wasn't a good fit at that time, um, and moved into cultural anthropology, where I started studying the socioeconomic systems of sex uh, throughout history and throughout what we know of our social and cultural predecessors. Well, I think there's a few things in that. I mean, if people didn't ask (laughs) questions, we'd never progress um, in anything of any area of knowledge. And sometimes um, people who are stayed in their ways don't like questions, allegedly in someone's opinion. Um, So, yes, I can relate to that. And then you've moved over. So you ended up studying cultural anthropology. Delve in a little deeper there on, you know, sort of what happened at that point and and then how it keeps you progressing to where you are today. Mm Mm-hmm. So cultural anthropology would be the bridge between uh, anthropology and sociology. Anthropology looks at the artifacts that cultures and society makes um, and establishes the parameters of the existence of social institutions. Mm -hmm. Sociology looks at the way cultures have structured social institutions within their bubbles. Whereas cultural anthropology looks at the production and the social systems together um, and how that has created, embedded, transferred ideas of knowledge through different social structures and how they continue to do so and construct new knowledges within social institutions and cultural epochs. Right. Now that's beginning, no, 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 that's beginning to um, sort of make a fair bit of sense to me in terms of the topic because, um, you know, now it's like, oh, we're living bubbles and social constructions and things and how that affects, um, you know, sexual health. Now, you know, the obvious linkage then is this is a show on pan slash queer rainbow, whatever we want to call it, issues. And now we're we're sort of we're brought to use my favorite one of my favorite phrases we've got the helicopter down and we're sort of getting into the micro the microscope view because sexual <laughs> health is often seen in such a I'm going to use three words um, heterosexist cisgenderist and I'm going to use the word endosexist um, sort of way acknowledging our people with variations of sex characteristics so. Yeah, let's sort of start looking at it, um, um, fleshing out that linkage. What's some of the things that happen there? Um, They might not be two smaller words, but I think I can sum it up and answer that in two words. Um, Reproductive hierarchies. Mm -hmm. Um, From a cultural anthropology perspective and from a social psychology perspective, there are are different means and uses for social systems. 
they're purposeful in ordering and structuring society for the sake of survival. A lot of this used to come from oral law, a lot used to come from mythologies, and a lot used to come from um, traditional legends. But with urbanization and population control, we needed to institutionalize these lessons a lot more. And so we develop systems that construct and, and hold on to knowledges. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, um, well yep. I, I'm with, I'm with you. So yeah, yeah. If you're just a bunch of, um, pe- your people, sorry, in a tribe or a farm rural setting, you know, uh, that's your community, but all of a sudden we're structuring things. So we have to take these sort of loose, um, guidelines and yeah, put structure and urbanization. And I think I'll add mm-hmm. in, this is just my guess, industrialization. Um, you know, we have to mm-hmm. structure things because, um, as part to, with everything is that, I think that's what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of my favorite, um, points of reference, uh, is actually the brother, brothers Grimm when it comes to these oral laws and these knowledges. Um, and if you look at the core content of the original Grimm stories, a lot of those moral lessons revolve around incest and provisioning against incest and protecting yourself against incest. So not the, not the uh, sanitized Hansel and Gretel. I'm talking about the real first edition, gory, uncomfortable versions of these stories. Um, and that in itself was a way that those cultures were institutionalizing sexual knowledge. Mm-hmm. They were telling stories. They were prescribing consequences. And they were setting up a moral good and a moral bad within the constructions of those stories so that you could anticipate and see flags in situations. So yeah. when you fast forward to the survival of, uh, well, when you span, uh, pan out again, my puns, um, mm-hmm. you look at the, um, oh, excuse me, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, yeah, so when you span out a little bit more, you look at the survival of a culture and the survival of a society. Incest was definitely very relevant for the survival and health of a culture, of a body of people that were confined together in a space. Um, When you fast forward that to contemporary problems, you have reproduction and labour forces and economies start to emerge as populations expand and transnationalism starts to occur. So reproductive hierarchies, begin to be institutionalized more and more within these social systems. And from that stems a whole bunch of queer theory where these systems of reproduction have been held and have impacted the way that biological science has been constructed in terms of gender, in terms of female health, in terms of male health, and in terms of the focus that societies put on problems and the problems that are put into society's focus. Wow. It's, it's sort of not something um, that you think about. I will just say one thing. If there is 
any distress at the mention of the topic of incest. And, you know, we're not saying that, of course, for a second that... Um, and there's a, um, we're not making any call on that here, of course. We're just saying that's what it was at the time. Um, please, again, one eight hundred one eight four five two seven one eight hundred seven two nine three six seven or one eight hundred five four two eight four seven if you need to talk to someone. But um, you're right, you know, the, um, on the, the more recent part, you know, that, oh, well, let's make sure that, um, you know, we have lots of labour and who cares, sort of a bit more, oh, well, so long as we have male marrying female and of course my ears pricked up there where we only talked about male and female health and not um well intersex in terms of sex characteristics and gender identities and expressions beyond the binary um which probably were too uncomfortable for that limited paradigm mm. and i also feel that even mns health or male to female health is itself been reduced to the reproductive purpose of both prescribed genders yeah. so I don't I don't believe that the health that we have even for um, binary people is holistic enough to mm. actually address the problems um, and the real world experiences people are having with with gender with experiences and with sex well, well that makes lots of sense I mean the idea that cisgender endosex heterosexual females should big, big, big inverted commas stay home and have babies and that's all they're there for is, of course, totally inappropriate and limits mm -hmm. people and stops pe people and society and humanity really achieving its potential as human beings more. And the irony is that that very model would probably <laughs> limit the economy as well, <laughs> which seems seems strange as, which seems strange as mm -hmm. well. So, yeah, there were very limited um, you know, sort of paradigm now, I'm just mm. having to rack my little pea brain. The Industrial Revolution started in around the, was it the 1700s, give or take, or was it earlier or later? Um, on either side. There was movement happening yeah. in a fluid, but that, that was basically the, the apex. Yeah, so um, now my little pea brain's got a starting point. It can say around 300 years. That's, a, that's a, you know, considering... Um, yeah, you know, that's a long time to embed a paradigm and sort of make for something a form, we'll say, of unconscious bias that people think, oh, well, this is the only way it can be. There aren't any other alternatives um, that you know with, um, to even think about, let alone consider or whether they consider whether they might be um, again inverted commas worthwhile or not. So we've embedded this paradigm. Um, so which leads to two questions for me. First of all, what's the I'm, in my words, better and more inclusive paradigm. And second, of course, um, well, we're talking about it, which I hope helps. But how do we get to start having a more inclusive paradigm? What and you know, what what do we need to do? What are the obstacles we need to go over, through, under, and around, so to speak? That's a very interesting question, Sally. Mm. Um, thank you, thank you for that. Um, I believe a lot of it is already occurring on a cultural level. We are having these conversations. We are developing a representation in creative spaces and in mainstream spaces, in political spaces. Um, there is a lot of work that does need to be done as far as biomedical science goes. 
there needs to be some connection and communication between the cultural groups that are forming, that are advocating and expressing their experiences and their knowledges, which are 100% legitimate, with the people that are tasked with the authority of constructing these biomedical definitions and responses to so-called health or social or social sexual issues like gender, like reproductive, anti-reproductive practices um, for any person. Um, Vasectomies, mastectomies, long-term contraception. These are being denied to people who are queer gendered and who are cisgendered because of the reproductive hierarchy. So there needs to be a lot more education within these biomedical facades. They need to let down the barriers that have been solidifying that authority in biomedical science for the last 300 years. And we really need to start communicating, not on a policy level, not on a cultural level, but on a scientific level, to not just unpack these ideas, which queer theorists have been doing a brilliant job of over the last 50 years or so, and Mm -hmm. critical sexuality theorists have as well. But that needs to be transcending into the biomedical field so that when medical practitioners are hit with uh, a social sexual issue, their primary response isn't a reproductive response based on the values that have been embedded in the hierarchy. Um, so, yeah, once, once that becomes a cultural practice in the biomedical and the scientific fields, I really do feel that there would be a lot more breadth for researching and exploring and reconstructing the scientific knowledge that got us into these buckets in the first place. Yep. One of our awesome listeners has messaged in saying his, his um, quote, your guest is great. There's a, lot, a strong sociological link with anthropology. Nice. And I know my listener has a very proudly feminist mum. Mum is going to love this discussion. So <laughs> um, thank you, um, Hoffler, for that, that comment. Um, if you want to comment on anything Daisy is saying, out of the pan, 855 at gmail.com, SMS 61456715, tweet at Sal Gold, Sal Gold said so, look for posts on Facebook, Sally Goldner AM or out of the pan 3CR 855 AM Melbourne. And love to have your comments on out of the pan as I continue the chat with Daisy. So yeah, we need to do this reframing to get away from a reproductive model to one that is just generally more inclusive um, in many, many levels, not just endosex vis-a-vis intersex, cisgender versus trans and gender diverse, but just um, wholly inclusive. And I mean, I don't, I obviously acknowledge any, um, we'll say limitations of knowledge due to my own experience as someone who is um, Anglo-Saxon and non-Aboriginal, for example, I'm, I'm not an expert, but I'm guessing there might. Um, logic says there's got to be something in terms of cultures and First Nations and other people, um, people, people with disabilities, for example, come to mind. You know, sort of um, how do how do we you know sort of what what do we need to do? Um, any thoughts on getting those people sort of um, in this conversation as well? 
definitely. Uh, representation. Um, leading straight off the conversation that we had before, this process needs to be done on all levels and with all communities um, within our societies and within our cultures. Um, that includes uh, and a range of um, uh, immigrants, migrants, mm. people from other cultures trying to operate and navigate our institutions without having the same ideologies embedded that we do. That can be incredibly scary and confronting and they need to be included in the conversation. There needs to be a conversation about the, the First Nation knowledge of this. I have had a lot of trouble seeking people who are able to advise um, because of the atrocities that were done through colonialism and the mm. disconnection. But the ideas, from what I understand, of, of gender and social constructions are very unique. And I feel that that has an incredibly valuable, um, oh, something incredibly valuable to offer moving forward when we are reconstructing these knowledges yep so taking into account not just the individual perspectives but the perspectives of communities who have just been getting by within our systems including um, gender fluid communities lgbtqr communities and people who have been oppressed and marginalized by these institutions people with disabilities everybody who doesn't fit into the hierarchy of reproductive value that society says we need to have for the survival of our culture we don't need that anymore so there's no reason for these conversations to not be had mm -hmm. it's it's simple as asking questions and i would absolutely um love to talk to people who would be interested in telling me their experiences in their communities and also um, individually as well with this topic matter. All right. Well, let's. Um, that there's there's a sense of anticipation. We'll just um, have a pause, have a musical track, and a couple of messages for a few minutes, and have a breather. Um, we opened up musically today with a track by the Doobie Brothers from their 2021 album Liberté and Don't You Mess With Me, which um, I think is um, a, good, a good motto to have. Um, let's have a listen to another track from the um, four CD, two double CD set of um, the winners over 50 years at Tamworth. Um, get ready to head up to Tamworth in 2022. And here's a track from The Wolverines, 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au, 3CR On Demand, Out of the Pan with Sally and guest Daisy Sykes. Sixty-five roses of yellow and red 
3CR gives space to voices excluded from mainstream media, to people who want to be heard. And to help keep 3CR on the air, you need to donate and subscribe. Call 9419 8377 or online at 3cr.org.au. all filmmakers the ninth annual setting sun film festival wants your film 
enter a short or a feature-length film for the chance to see your work up on the gorgeous Sun Theatre screen in Yarraville. The Sun Theatre was voted one of the most beautiful theatres in the world, with up to $10,000 in prizes for winners. Entries close on the 31st of January 2022. Go to settingsun.com.au and enter your film now. The Setting Sun Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. 3CR, 8.55am, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au, 3CR On Demand, Out of the Pan with Sally. First broadcasting noon through one every Sunday afternoon. Thanks for your company. We just heard um, from the Wolverines, normally a bit of a hard rockin' sort of um, country band, but they're gentle, thoughtful song, 65 Roses. And that's, as I said, from the four CD compilation and called the um, Country Music Association of Australia 50th Anniversary of the Winners Awards. Had a couple of messages come in. Forgot to mention one at the start of the show um, from Susan James retweeted the post about the show on Twitter today saying in the age of Murdoch and Morrison Community Radio is more important than ever. Keep up the great work, you all. Well, thank you, Suzanne, I should say, um, for that one. And, yes, we do need diverse voices in all forms of conversation and all the great shows on 3CR and other great community stations, whether it's voices and types of music and artists that don't get a Guernsey in commercial media are very, very important. Had a message from Mel before the show today um, who put a letter in The Age and um, this actually will link into a question we've had um, for um, from Hoffler but um, Mel's letter first um, I hope Tim Wilson and Josh Frydenberg did not take the Liberal vote of granted ever again after they have trashed the Menzies legacy of a party that, that values decency and integrity I anticipate them spending a lot of time in their electorates. They are in for a surprise and a backlash by some of the constituents who have had enough. So Robert Menzies is turning his grave, along with the frustrated voters, and I wholeheartedly welcome independent candidates. And in line with that, total telepathy, um, as far as we know, no world wrestling entertainment allegedly premeditated, um, not that I'd ever say that. I'm going to go to that in a second before I come back to Daisy. Um, I'll give Daisy time to think about this question before um, I put it. Um, get the response. Um, Hoffler's come in, what does Daisy think about more independence, namely feminist candidates running for politics? Does that help challenge the status quo and help break down the nasty patriarchy? Um, and um, you know, sort of um, the other thing that came to mind um, was, um, you know, sort of, and I'm not sure why it came back into my mind, but... Um, uh, my sort of um, winner of the week, um, so to speak, um, was something that I got notified by. And, of course, I have to throw in a wrestling reference on this show just because I do. Um, and that was um, out by wrestler Anthony Bowens um, got a homophobic taunt while wrestling a match. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I'm not going to challenge any wrestler on anything. I'll just call them sir, ma'am or anything they want. And yet I love his response back, according to this article in Pink News, uh, which I think this is where I knew it tied in. Um, you know, sort of I'm being to sound like Ronnie Corbett, which brings me back to the joke I was going to tell you. And um, um, Bowens, after the match, tweeted, stuff like this unfortunately still exists, not phased. I'll just keep fighting against stuff like this till the day I die. 
Bowens declared on Twitter. So that's um, exactly sort of what we're talking about today. Um, so, um, yeah, we are sort of trying to well, fight out negatives, but also bring in positives and bring in what we want. So first of all, Daisy, that question from Hoffler about more independence running and does that help break down the status quo and the nasty patriarchy and the limitations of our current sexual health models? I'll just add that bit in. Okay. Yes. Oh, the patriarchy. This is one of my uh, my favourites. Um, short answer, yes. Representation is key and all types need to be in powers of decision making. There mm. needs to be a diversification of the authority and social and cultural and political authority primarily. So short answer, yes. Unpacking the patriarchy, though. Just something we I can would do by say... 5 o'clock next Friday. Sorry. <laughs> I would say that it might not be as helpful as we think to champion one set of values over another set of values because oh. that's basically what the patriarchy is. It's not men against women. It's a system of values that determine your cultural and social hierarchy within our institutions, education, um, employment, economics, um, everything, religion, everything. So when it comes to challenging the patriarchy, I think that everybody needs a voice and I think that the values of the patriarchy impact the type of men that our culture and our society forms. And I think that that is what's toxic, not what the men inside the system are having to do to cope, if that makes sense. So... I totally think it <laughs> makes sense and I think it is fair. And, I, and I, I'm, you know, I'm going to say something that sometimes isn't popular um, because, um you know, it is unfair to label or stereotype any group negatively. And there are lots of genuinely decent cisgender males, regardless of sexuality, who try to do the right thing by people who try to behave decently. And I know that you know, mightn't be popular in some progressive circles to say that, but I think, you know, that's, um, it's really important that we do. <clears throat> You're quite right. It is very simplistic language. The ultra macho misuse of power um, sort of thing that happens largely from cisgender men who behave badly. Those three words are critical, we'll call it, but simple enough um, that I think is the issue. So great response. Um, yeah. So we had a few things we wanted to discuss and the one where we wanted to start on is communities and sex and reproduct and sort of re sexual and reproductive health. Let's start there. What you know, what did you want to throw in on that one? So this leads perfectly from what we were talking about earlier, Sally. Um, there is definitely a necessary requirement to include different communities' experiences. And that's because communities have their own systems of communication, of knowledge dissemination, of what we're beginning to call in the social sexology field as nannies 
people who are held up with a social and cultural value for that community's knowledge. Their elders within Indigenous communities, their nanos and nunas within the Italian communities, their aunties and um, the people in the clubs even, in queer clubs, that are making sure that everyone else is okay and that are, are teaching newcomers and, and guiding them. And so within every community, these systems of knowledges and what is being shared and constructed within them is very, very relevant on a public health and, and biomedical level. And we know this through research now. And unfortunately, what happened to the queer communities through the 80s is how this knowledge was created. But that pandemic allowed us to realize that the most valuable sexual health responses are not public mandates and not pathologized steps, excuse me, um, not pathologizing um, different sexes and genders and prohibiting acts um, of, of desire and pleasure, but it's to communicate with the cultural disseminators within these communities and ask them and share with them your knowledge. And then those communities using their own internal established systems of trust and respect and knowledge gathering will then share that knowledge amongst themselves in a way that's not just relevant, but a way that's impactful and personal. I've got it. And look, so we need to be reaching out to communities. <laughs> well, look, I'm thinking of a few people who come to mind, um, you know, the wonderful Barbara Corellis and her partner, Kate Bornstein, who did so much work in this area, are just two who come to mind, people who do develop this sort of grassroots thinking. And I know this is, I'm just going to be maybe a bit personal, but it, it's honest and from the heart rather than self-indulgent, someone who is of great assistance to me, Helena May, who's... Um, I, um, someone who's been involved in rainbow communities here, well, in Australia, but also around the world as well, people who tried to build that from the grassroots up. And I, so I'm totally with you on that. And, you know, so it is, you know, the, the whole, yes, the HIV um, response was so, as you say, top-down controlling rather than, you know, you know, built up. And, well, some of it's... Um, I could get into a community political debate, but I'm going to restrain myself and be nice um, about who who influences um, sexual health, which organisations, I'll say, which who or influence sexual health and rainbow communities today. But that's a debate for another 23 shows. Um, um, so the other thing we wanted to talk about was medical practices. Um, you know, sort of um, as well. We just wanted to round, um, come back to that with in terms of communities as well. I'm um, linking, but you know, pulling it all together. Yeah, definitely. Um, so again, different communities have their own cultural streams of knowledge. Um, this is disseminated amongst um, people who are respected and trusted within those communities who are gone to for support and guidance when things are wrong and to reach out to newcomers to include them. There are definitely, there's definitely an issue with a, a one, one solution for all 
when it comes into the gender binary buckets and biomedical responses. But each community struggles with their own issues, whether it is uh, cultural knowledge, whether it is um, religious knowledge, whether it is personal experiences, um, even, uh, again, a little bit of a trigger warning, warning here, uh, trauma comes into play. Mm-hmm. Everything that has ever been put on you in your construction of your identity is carried into your sexual social life. And so not only are we dealing with a complex individual, we're dealing with a complex environment that that individual comes from. And to be able to understand what the appropriate medical response is for a person and how to treat them with sensitivity and inclusivity we really need to understand the communities that the people we're treating are coming from. Mm. And then we can understand how to not just communicate with the individual, but also learn from the individual's experience in furthering biomedical knowledge when it comes to the social cultural impacts of sexual health. And they are in every single aspect of our lives. What we watch on TV, what we hear from our parents, what we see and do and learn at school, everything, every interaction, every relationship, every cute little day has an impact on our social sexual development. And these environments, these expectations of us, um, as well as the limits and lines that we follow within our communities and within our cultures, all work to construct what is happening within the complexities of our social sexual selves. And so we're not looking at sexual health as reproductive health anymore. We're looking at sexual health as a holistic, psychological, environmental and and social response, social concept. It, It is a construction of ourselves and our experiences. But that also comes from the institutions, again, and the communities that we come from. So creating a full circle, we really need to link those major three aspects together um, to start being able to have these conversations, not just here on on, um, 3CR, but within our practitioner's office, within um, whoever we choose to see to disclose our personal and private problems too, whether that's a friend, a parent, because we know that people go to peers more often than they go to medical practitioners. So one, we need to equip our communities with the knowledge to be able to help people who are in the peer-to-peer learning environment and then also equip them with the skills to be able to navigate the biomedical system. But I also believe that shouldn't be on the individual. I believe that should be on the biomedical institutions themselves and the way that they're learning and teaching and engaging with these issues. Well, absolutely. I think that's, I I can, well, I've just got to say I totally agree with that as someone who says, yeah, let's take the lived expertise, as I love to use that phrase, from the people who know what works and what they need that would make them feel more comfortable in terms of sexual health or any other form of health treatment and get it into the framework. <laughs> it's, um, I think that's a nice 
probably a nice way, I reckon, to to finish it up. Um, yeah, I just think that's it's you know we've just delved into an area more deeply and linked it back and said this is how we do it. So Daisy, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Our um, lots of wonderful comments from our listeners today. Um, you know, so that um, you know um, who've really enjoyed um, the interview and your analysis and. Your, you know, your um, sort of approach on, you know, cross-cultural components and the whole thing. And, um, you know, so um, just really want to thank you. If you're okay, how do people get in touch with you if they're um, sort of wanting to find out more about the things that you do? Um, you know, are you on the, well, I, silly me, are you on social media? But not everyone is. Um, but if you are and you're happy to share a way of contacting you, um, please let, um, what's the best way to do that? Um, definitely. Uh, through LinkedIn, um, you can find me at uh, Danielle Yvonne Daisy site um, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also about to launch comms in the new year for a project that I'm doing, specifically developing this topic into an actionable community. So I would love anybody who would like to participate, who's interested in hearing my ideas, to reach out um, and we can have conversations about what's coming in the new year um, and potentially help anyone who is struggling with anything that we have spoken today, spoken about today. Anyone in the medical health field who is listening and would like to learn how to be a little bit more inclusive um, and sensitive and how to identify the different cultural communities and environments that impact these issues. Um, I'm more than happy to help anyone who wants to have a conversation about helping people have a more happy and healthy social sexual experience. Awesome. All right, Daisy, better leave it there. Thank you so much. Um, Hoff has come in and said it's been a wonderful discussion, which I'll certainly um, echo that. Um, thank you so much. Um, I'll just have a couple of messages, then I'll wrap up the show. Um, and um, make way for Freedom of Species at 1 o'clock. Carolyn and Nick will be talking to Greta Kuthel from the Youth Climate Save Victoria Climate Action, um, talking about veganism and a new initiative called the Plant-Based Treaty. Um, so that will be awesome at 1 o'clock. Um, rotations at 2, Queer in the Air at 3, and Salam Radio Show at 4. And, um, yeah... Um, just have a couple of messages and come back and wrap it all up. 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au, 3CR On Demand, Out of the Pan with Sally. There's kind of a lot of a lot of things that are coming up to the fore at the moment as well, particularly in terms of the way that we imagine, for example, essential work and also sort of essential community life or essential caregiving um, and how those how those function if we think about sort of the way that queer family often takes very very sort of different forms and very you know important and meaningful forms that often don't match the picture of normative heteronormative family life but how so many of the of the affordances or the restrictions or the kind of the, the government governmental sort of imagining of the way that we should live and what we need to live and what we need to survive really is shaped around heteronormativity you know it's around the family life in the suburb as opposed to many you know single 
individuals who have shared queer family, both sexual and community connections that sustain them and that kind of give them give them life and give them give them sort of energy and comfort and safety and security and support. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. Every Sunday here at 3CR from 6 to 7 p.m. Join me, Holly, for your one hour of 1960s tracks and inspired sounds. Three CR eight five five AM, three CR digital, three CR dot org dot AU, three CR on demand, out of the pan with Sally. First broadcasting noon through one Sunday afternoon. Thanks for your company. Thanks again to Daisy Sykes for their time on the show today. Um, wow, there was so much in there, um, lots to digest, um, and it all sort of comes back to, well, not all, but so much of it can come back to just listening and you know common sense and taking from people's experience, all that sort of thing, which to me, as I said, as an educator, um, you know, sort of um, is so important. Now, the other thing um, Mel asked me in her email prior to the show, and now Hoffler's asked me, um, Mel asked, quote, impact you think the independents will have at the election next year for our community and in general? And, well, more tele- telepathy today. Um, the wavelengths are working. Hoffler said, what are your views on the independents and their success, Sally? How well do you think they will do? Now, I, I must admit I'm not a soothologist, people who personally knows electoral results, but I think they're going to have some sort of impact. I think that's obvious. A lot of people, you know, and I am not being, don't think it's a political comment to say, are not happy with the sort of not even conservative direction the Liberal Party is taking this just sort of unaccountable lack of respect for institutions which um, devalues conservatism as I understand it. So I think they will have an impact. It's going to probably be seat by seat. In terms of our communities, this is something where I think we could do a bit more um, as rainbow communities to get in touch with them. Um, I think that, um, you know, I think generally a lot of these people have views that want to be more respectful and inclusive and don't want the sort of transphobia. Yes, there's been talk about issues like refugees and climate and government accountability, but I think maybe that I think that it's a fair call to say there is an opening for the rainbow communities to talk to some of the voices of and independents generally. So I think they'll have an impact. Um, they'll probably win a couple of seats. They, you know, it's theoretical, theoretically possible they could end up as part of the balance of power. There was a good article in the Saturday paper yesterday by Tony Windsor about what to do and not to, which I thought was really good, and I have a lot of respect for him and how he handled matters from 2010 to 13 as part of the. Gillard, supporting the Gillard minority government. So, yeah, they'll definitely have an impact, um, Matt and Hoffler, and I think provide a good alternative if some people are maybe frustrated with Labor, just to be fair. Um, you've got that choice, and if you have an independent in your seat, which previously has just been so sort of safe to part one of the two larger parties type of seats in simple terms, you will have a choice, and that's always a good thing. We love choice, and uh, um, we'll go from there. 
So um, next week is the last live show of 2021. I'll have a wonderful artist who's performing in January called Eve on the show. Um, taking it out today. So we just to recap the music, the Doobie Brothers, Don't Mess With Me, the Wolverine, 65 Roses. And which one am I going to end up with today? Uh, I think it's appropriate that I go out with a Keith Urban track from the 90s. I never work on a Sunday. It's not work to come in here. It's a great deal of fun and pleasure to contribute the show. I hope you had lots of fun and pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you next week. I never work on a Sunday. I've got a life of my own. And this here now is the one day I spend with my family at home. Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.